Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this podcast by Touching Success. My name is Joy, and our companion for today is Sterling. He is busy taking a bath, so you may hear bath water sounds. He enjoys that very much. So today I want to talk about something that's often ignored or not recognized in the school systems as a disability, and I guarantee it is because it is one that I, in particular, do have. Statistics say that 5 to 8% of school-aged children actually do have this particular learning disability and that it is also considered one of the most neglected areas in education and disabilities. So now what am I talking about? I'm talking about dyscalculia. So this is not working quite right and calcula is kind of like calculation or dyscalculia is somebody who has a hard time with mathematics. Very few studies have explored the concept of dyscalculia, which is really unfortunate. And the studies that are out there tend to focus mostly on number and arithmetic skills. So what's part of math, the overall concept of mathematics? It's not just your two plus two, two times three, your arithmetic. Math is much deeper than that and embeds itself in almost every subject. So there's math concepts, which are ideas and relationships that underlie math systems. In other words, more than, less than, place value, regrouping. Skills, techniques for manipulating ideas and applications, using concepts and skills to solve actual and hypothetical problems In other words, counting objects, balancing a checkbook, and so on. I'm going to take a pause right here and put out Dr. Mather a thank you. A lot of this information is coming from her work and that I got in her class. So I want to make sure that you guys know that this is not all my work and that I'm talking about. It belongs to Dr. Nancy Mather. So those are the basic foundations of mathematic concept, skills, and applications. What about somebody who has dyscalculia? How does that look like for kids that have that, or adults? Dyscalculia shows in their difficulty with abstract concepts of time and direction. They have difficulty with skip counting. Their inconsistent results in addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, poor mental math ability, and spatial disorganization. Common errors in computations, substitutions, transportations, omissions, and reversals. Difficulty grasping and remembering math concepts, formulas, and rules. Poor memory for facts. Longer reliance on immature computation strategies, i.e. counting on your fingers. They should stop the counting on the fingers, give or take around second grade. So if you've got a fourth or fifth grader still counting on their fingers, you want to stop and make sure that the child is not dealing with dyscalculia. On a personal basis on this, I um, would do a lot of the math where I would have the rules down correctly, but I did the calculations wrong almost every time. And I had a very generous teacher who finally started doing two grades, one that the steps were done correctly, which I did, but gave me a separate score for the actual 
score that came out, which was usually wrong, because I would do something like 6 times 6 equals 12. Well, you can imagine when you're doing an algebra problem that that would create a very large gap in the solution. Now, what happens to these kids who aren't caught with this calcula, and many of them aren't, how are they doing their math? They end up with what Dr. Nancy Mather calls the Swiss cheese info. And that's when students don't master skill, but the teacher in the book continue to go on because they can't stay behind for just one or two students. They have to progress forward. And it's at that time, really, that people should start looking at more intense intervention. What's kind of interesting, I find, is that there's a lot of areas that having math difficulties actually does affect. And Dr. Mathers puts in that it affects attention, visual spatial thinking, memory span, working memory, visual motor, and oral language reasoning. And all of those are related to math difficulties. Surprising, isn't it? Students dealing with dyscalculia have a difficult time with attention. They have a difficult time meaning attention to step in algorithms, problem solving, and or instructions. Algorithms are the rules that are followed to solve a problem. So the next one is visual spatial. How in the world does visual spatial get affected by dyscalculia? Well, they tend to lose their place on their worksheets. They misunderstand spatially represented information. They have difficulty lining up columns, have difficulty using a number line, have a difficult time relating to directional aspects of math. Next, we have poor memory span. This one makes the most sense to me because I think this is where I struggle the most with dyscalculia. Poor memory span shows difficulty learning on the count on procedure, which is you go five and then six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So five plus five, you would start with five and then count up to the ten. Difficulty memorizing math facts, trouble with skip counting, trouble with sequencing problems in multiple steps. Now working memory. Working memory is my nightmare. I can't tell you how embarrassed I am when I sit down and we are at a lunch and we're all trying to figure out our portion of it and then what percentage of it we owe for tip and so on. It requires me to hold on to numbers in my head and do calculation. And for me, that is difficult and it is actually somewhat embarrassing for me trying to figure that out in front of other people. But now I've fessed it up to you guys. so. Now you'll know why I pull out my calculator and I start working on that. Anyway, so working memory problems, difficulty retaining new information, forgets steps of algorithms, loses concentration in the middle of the math problem, bingo, performs poorly on review lessons, and has difficult solving multiple step word problems. Next comes visual motor difficulties. Writes numbers illegibly, slowly, and inaccurately, has difficult aligning numbers and columns, has difficulty writing numbers in small spaces, and has trouble forming numbers correctly. For me, that really isn't too much of a problem. I do remember, though, as a kid, 
I couldn't go out to recess until I finished my worksheet and had it absolutely, well, I thought they were looking for perfect. I look back as a teacher now and realize they were probably just trying to get it so that it was legible. Somebody who deals with oral language and reasoning, they're going to have difficulty understanding story problems, understanding when to apply applications, learning and applying math vocabulary and terminology, and seeing the relationships among problems. Now most of us, I think, hate some version of story problems, especially those that the train comes this way and the other train comes this way and this is going this fast and this is going this fast and when will they meet in the middle, right? We've all had that problem and we've all disliked having to solve that problem. For somebody with dyscalculia, all problems are that difficult or worse and that needs to be kept in mind. Most of these kids feel like that train wreck that they couldn't solve is every single problem. As a general rule, people who have dyscalculia and who struggle with difficulties with story problems, they're going to be struggling with determining the operations that are needed to identify and ignore extraneous information, to read the problems accurately, to compute the basic facts, complete all the steps, understand the vocabulary, and even more than that, story problems are a nightmare for kids with dyscalculia because they have to figure all that out, lay it out into an equation or two that can be solved. So as you can imagine, that's quite difficult for someone who has a hard time just calculating equations and understanding them, let alone trying to drag out the pieces that they need inside of a story problem to make a problem to calculate. And then you start throwing in information that's not really needed into the story problem. And now you just have a kid who is extremely frustrated and probably you might see some behavior issues in those cases. Maybe not, but don't be surprised if you do. All right, so I'm not going to rewind it a bit. We're going to go back to the attention difficulties that a student with dyscalculia has and kind of talk a little bit about what you can do to help the student out that has dyscalculia. A student has difficulty maintaining attention to steps and algorithms, so what do we do about that? Well, Dr. Mather and the people she did her research with suggest hands-on projects, encourage discovery and creativity, so kind of let the kid figure out what is needed to solve that problem. And I've used that technique and the kids actually like it because they're really involved and then something just kind of clicks when it happens. Use technology. Technology is awesome. We have access to it. There's no more of this sort of attitude of, oh, you'll never have a calculator with you all the time. That's only true maybe 90% of the time with our kids. Now with their phones and their watches and any other thing, they do have access to a calculator almost all of the time. This is not me saying get rid of rote math. I still think rote math is important, but if you maybe separate them out so that they're discovering things using technology and then another time you're just working on rote math, then that seems to maybe be a fair compromise. Group work hook them into a group that is patient 
and maybe what one teacher I had did with me was had a mix of kids so that it was a kid who did straight A's, a B's, C's, and D's, and I landed in the B's area, and we worked together to solve our problems, and it was really a great experience, and you get to know people too, so I built friendships out of that. Shorter and more frequent assignments. Math quizzes, instead of giving them 20 problems, maybe give them 10, but maybe later on, maybe the following week, you give us the rest of the 10 from the 20 the other kids got. This is tricky because some kids will feel embarrassed if they only get the 10 in front of their peers. So you could give all 20 problems at once and then just tell the student quietly they only have to do 1 through 10 or 11 through 20, whichever method works for you as a teacher. So what are the suggestions that they recommend for short attention memory span. And I actually think this is probably something that could apply to all kids, whether they have a disability or not. I think it's important kids learn how to take effective notes. And that's one of the suggestions is to teach good note-taking skills. Maybe take a week, maybe take an hour, whichever works for your schedule, and sit down and really do a good job teaching kids how to take good notes. I think that that is positive and will follow through the, with them for the rest of their school career. Uh, provide visual cues to help the student recall information. Provide practice with flashcards. Use mnemonics, I use language cards. Provide frequent review. Emphasize reasoning skills versus rote memorization, like we were talking earlier, calculators are with the kids. Place steps to follow on an index card. So what do we do about visual motor difficulties? This is important to me as a student who struggled with this calcula. Some of the teachers figured this out for themselves and were doing this. And it was very helpful and it really kept my self-esteem from totally crashing into the dirt. So one is give more time for completing tasks and tests. Encourage students to show work, not just the final answers. And that is crucial. Even if they're just turning in their scratch copy, have them turn that in with their final work. Because when I would get the wrong answer, often I'd done all the steps correctly. The steps were okay, but my answers were wrong because I did the math wrong. So I've had teachers who just gave me half credit for doing the work correctly and then I just missed the half that required the problems solved correctly and that was fine I mean that was better than getting back an all red everything scratched out paper provide a copy of the notes if there's a kid who takes really good notes in class photocopy them and give them to the kid if not the notes you have or you keep whether it's on the computer if it's on a uh, PowerPoint, anything like that, give them a copy of it so they can follow along and take their notes on top of it. Have student keyboard math notes. I'll be honest, on this one I'm not quite sure what she meant and I don't have a note to the side of it. Have students use graph paper. That's very helpful in teaching kids how to line their numbers up. And this is especially important when you get into algebra or that level of work because you need to keep your equal signs lined up and the different letters and everything lined up on the correct side. 
that is something that I was also taught to do so that I could keep my problems aligned. Next comes oral language and reasoning. So think alouds. Describe and model how to solve math problems several times with the student. Ask and answer questions. Ask questions. Have the student describe the process. Provide guided practice. Fade the cues and the prompts as their skills are acquired so that they're doing them on their own. Some overall strategies that work are provide modeling and guided feedback. So as you are solving a problem with the student, do it with them, do it out loud, do several of them, and then have the student try to do the same thing where they're talking out loud about it and solving it with you. And by doing that, you can hear where the student is losing track of where they should be. Teach step-by-step problem-solving methods. Don't just do all the steps all at once and then expect that the child can follow along because that is part of the problem. They can't. They're having a hard time with it. But if you go through it step by step by step with it a few times, something may just click for the student. And then that would be awesome if every week they're able to understand the concept and stay more or less up with their peers in the classroom. Use visual supports such as pictures or drawings. Encourage talk alouds. Again, have the child talk through the problem with you. Teach from concrete to abstract sequence. And believe it or not, somebody with dyscalculia needs to have that done all the way through high school. It doesn't matter what math level they've managed to achieve. They need to have somebody who can sit down and break the problems down with them. Maybe a tutor from another class that's higher level. Maybe a friend can do it, the teacher. Uh, I think a lot of schools have something that was called tutorial period in my school, which is when we can connect with our teachers and they were guaranteed to be in their classrooms to get help. So those are some different steps that can be done uh, just right off the top. This is a cute picture that the teacher put onto my note page here. It's the sequence of instruction and reads, teach using a concrete object to semi-concrete representational to abstract sequence or numbers. And it shows a picture of four little frogs and then four stop sign shapes and then the number four. I just thought that the, the little frogs are really cute. And that might work for a student is starting off with pictures and then moving into shapes and then moving into the actual numbers because it begins the abstract concepts from the solid concept of, well, in this case, frogs. The next one she has is kind of fun too. Concrete, nine gummy bears minus three bears. Semi-concrete is six tallies plus two tallies, and then the abstract is five plus eight. So hopefully that gives you an idea of what is meant with the concrete, semi-concrete, and the abstract. And that it is easier for kids with dyscalculia to start off with the concrete and then move through semi-concrete and into abstract. Touch math is another form of teaching a student with learning disabilities how to count. And this is a good idea for kids who also have reading disabilities on top of learning disabilities with math. 
It's a multi-sensory method for computation. So what you do is you teach touch points to use for counting. And the purpose is to increase the accuracy of computations. Once the student has the hang of the touch points for counting, you can then move on to teaching from the highest number, which would be say five plus six. Six is the larger number, so then the student would say six and then count up seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and they would count that on doing, using the touch technique. Touch math is especially useful for the kids who just calcula and are having problems just counting accurately. So it's a technique to keep in mind if you have one of those students in your classroom. While you're teaching students and you have a student or two that have dyscalculia in your classroom, beware of the prerequisites that the students might need to have in order to complete their assignments. For example, you need to have one-to-one -one correspondence nailed pretty good before you start into addition and you need to have addition nailed pretty good before you start into other mathematical concepts. Manipulation, it needs to precede memorization. Students need to have a feeling for what they are being asked to do. Why are they being asked to memorize all this stuff? And they may not know, but if you give them a chance to play with things that are in the classroom that are related to math, then they might have a better time learning to memorize the math facts that they need to know to continue on in their lessons. Another very useful, useful, very useful, it was so helpful for me when it came time to it, is learning to estimate. Not necessarily getting an exact answer, but estimate that 2 plus 8 is probably not 20, it's probably not 28, so what could it be? Oh, it could be 10, and the answer in fact that one is 10, but what if it was 4 plus 8? Same kind of thing, is it 48? That doesn't make sense. So what's closer? Well, 10's closer. So teach estimate, estimation, it will pay off for a student all the way through school and in real life if they can just estimate, oh, I need about this much. We're relying less and less on scantrons and multiple choice and moving more into explaining answers of what we got. But in the meantime, while we still have multiple choice questions, having the ability to estimate is priceless because sometimes when you look at math problems and they have four answers to pick from, if you're able to estimate, you're able to at least get in there and pick which one is probably the answer or like you have two wrong and two right looking ones estimation can help you get the correct answer and I am speaking about this from experience I always surprise myself at how well I can do on multiple choice tests with math but I think it was because I was taught estimation pretty early on from teachers I'm gonna go ahead and pull a stop right here as this is beginning to run long but I will set up another podcast on having to do with word problems. And there are, is a lot to say about word problems, as you can imagine. I'm sure word problems at some point in all of our lives was something that was rather a nightmare. 
Before I sign out, I want to give a shout out as a thank you to Jamie, who was in my Algebra 2 class and my two senior math classes. It is thanks to her. I fully believe that I managed to pass those classes. So thank you, Jamie, if you're listening. For everybody else, I hope you have a wonderful, great, and fantastic day, and I hope that you will tune in again next week where we will discuss more things about math, including the dreaded story problems. So let's see if we can keep story problems from being a nightmare for another generation, and especially for those kids with dyscalculia who just have such a hard time with basic computational skills, and now we throw word problems at them, and the likelihood that somebody who has dyscalculia also has dyslexia is pretty high, so we just do not want to make word problems worse for them than they already are. So that'll be next week. In the meantime, please take care of yourself, take care of your children, take care of your students, and I will hope to see you here again next week.